You are listening to Love, Maine Radio, hosted by Dr. Lisa Belisle and recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine in Portland. Dr. Lisa Belisle is a writer and physician who practices family medicine and acupuncture in Thompson. Show summaries are available at lovemainradio.com. Portland Art Gallery is proud to sponsor Love, Maine Radio. Portland Art Gallery is the city's largest and is located in the heart of the Old Port at 154 Middle Street. The gallery focuses on exhibiting the work of contemporary Maine artists and hosts a series of monthly solo shows in its newly expanded space, including Ingen Jorgensen, Brenda Sirioni, Daniel Corey, Jill Hoy, and Dave Allen. For complete show details, please visit our website at artcollectormain.com. Love, Maine Radio is also brought to you by Aristel, a lingerie boutique on Exchange Street in Portland's Old Port, where every body is seen as a work of art and beauty is celebrated from the inside out. Shop with us in person or online at aristel.com. Tickets for Maine Live are available now. Maine Live is a day of inspiring talks and stories of grit by the business and creative people shaping the future of our state. Join host Dr. Lisa Belisle and 14 mesmerizing speakers who will inspire conversation and connection. This fifth Main Live is on Thursday, September 21st at USM's Hannaford Hall. Go to MainLiveEvent.com for more information and to purchase your ticket. My next guest is Fletcher Kittredge, who is the founder and CEO of Maine-based internet service provider GWI. In the last 20 years, GWI has grown to 55 employees and $16 million in annual revenue. Thanks so much for coming in today. Well, thank you so much for having me. You've been doing some very interesting things with your educational background, which includes having a BA in English from Colby and an MS in computer science from Harvard. When you started this life that you've created, did you think that you'd be going in this direction? I certainly, uh, 30 years ago, wouldn't have anticipated it. Um, but it it's, uh, it's, it's really served me well. And so it's hard not to advocate for it because if, if something works for you, you just assume it works for everyone else. Um, so I, I was, I think I really benefited from getting a liberal arts degree as an undergraduate degree. And uh, because of the breadth, um, if I look at what, and the, and the sorts of things I learned, I, you know, there's a difference between education and training, and education is teaching you underlying principles and, and developing skills um, uh, that are fundamental and um, really shaping who you are, and then training is giving you specific knowledge to get a task done. And I, I, um, because the world that I've been in is, is a high-tech world and the evolution and the change is just extraordinary, I've really benefited from having that broad liberal arts background. If I just had technical training, the tech, you know, the math doesn't change, and and math is is one of the few eternal things. But so much of the technical training changes, and I know engineers that end up getting essentially isolated and marooned if they don't keep up with their ongoing education because they they miss out on those those things so they either plateau in their career or that sort of stuff so it's been it's been a, a real uh, um, advantage to me to have both and I think that it's something um, that people need and the the other thing um, that I should say about my uh, 
my graduate degree is it was night school or actually it was day school because Harvard doesn't do night school um, but um, I got it over time um, uh, one course at a time uh, while I was working so it was adult ed and I think that that's incredibly valuable it's just a wonderful way to learn uh, if you can take um, something like that you know an applied degree and you're working in the field at the same time you get that immediate reinforcement of say oh you know I understand now I understand the principles behind that and it, and it really sticks with you so um, the combination of a liberal arts degree and then ongoing learning I think is really valuable you moved to Maine from Cambridge. Um, which well, I moved back to Maine from Cambridge. Moved back to Maine. All right, well, tell me a little about your background. Uh, so my family, uh, his, uh, um, or at least some of my ancestors, um, uh, got here in the uh, uh, 1640s and 1650s to Maine. Um, and... Um, and my family was here for a long time. My branch of the family uh, moved to Ohio uh, around the Civil War, and uh, but we always came, uh, kept ties here. So I used to come back in the summer when I was a little, little kid. And then my father, who was a college professor, was to some extent part of the Back to the Land movement. And in 75, uh, we moved back to Maine when I was 15. So I, I you know, did high school here, went to college here, and uh, went down to Cambridge to get a job in the computer industry, because even though I was an English major, computers were kind of getting out into society when I was in college, uh, the first few PCs that, uh, and that sort of stuff. And I got really interested in them and went down to Cambridge to get a job and then to go to school. So um, I was there for, I, we were out of state for 11 years and we're very happy that just it was just an amazing feeling to be able to move back here and that's why I started the the uh, 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 GWY was to have a job in Maine um, and uh, so um, I, I achieved that goal and my gave, were able to give my kids the advantage of a, uh, a Maine childhood which is one of the greatest gifts you can give people so if your father and presumably your mother were behind this back to the land movement yeah. and you decided oh i'm gonna go back to the city yeah how did that go over for them um oh uh well you know uh in in when i graduated from college there weren't a whole lot of um jobs around in maine and and uh my sibling I, I, there were four of us and and um I was the only one who moved back to Maine. I mean, it was just, um, it, there, you know, young people leaving Maine is not a new phenomenon. It just was, you know, there was, there weren't a whole lot of options. And I felt like I needed, in, in fact, to come back, I felt like I needed to make an option for myself. Um, so that's, I mean, literally, that's why I started the company. Uh, so is so that I could have a job and live live here and have my family here. And fortunately, I married someone whose uh, allegiance to Maine was as strong as I was, and has made it very clear she's not moving <laughs> now that she's back here. And were you somehow able to so this idea of being 
back to the land. I mean, the single largest, I think, idea was that it, it's you're self-sustaining. It is, and I should I uh, I should say we were in that culture, but we weren't. Uh, my parents were not not farmers. I mean, my my uh, my mother wishes she was a farmer, and she has a, a truly extraordinary. Uh, vegetable garden and orchard, but my father was in construction. He was an architect. He had, had been teaching architecture and then came up here to, to become a partner in a, in a company. And my mother was a school psychologist, so she worked in the school system. But um, uh, what I think one of the things that attracted them to Maine is uh, you asked me what, are, what is my favorite place in Maine, I said all of it. And one of the things that I just absolutely love about Maine, and this may be true of many places, and it's just that I know Maine well, is there's just all these little subcultures in Maine, which are culturally distinct and neat in and of themselves. And there is this kind of rural, same set of values or about around the, uh, the back to the land, and they very much fit in that. Uh, I grew up in that, uh, raised our kids in that. Um, I went to an alternative school, which is, I think, for me, was the heart of, of that, um, that, that no longer exists anymore. Um, and um, my kids to went to uh, the school around us and uh, the new school in Kennebunk. I don't know if you, if you know those, but mm-hmm. uh, uh, those sorts of places. And um, uh, so uh, on the edge of that, but no, we did not live in a yurt. Um, and uh, and we did not we were not subsistence farmers, but uh, um, a the set of values about trying. You know, Maine's a deeply conservative state across the political spectrum, and the the only difference is what you're trying to conserve, and the the you know the the allegiance to the environment and. Um, and s- local self-reliance and, and those things, sorts of things were, uh, I think, important values to them. Well, I guess one of the things I think about is if you are attempting to be self-sustaining, mm-hmm. then creating your own company to create your own job yep. is actually that. It, it is, and I think that... Um, you know, Maine's and Maine needs more of that. And Maine, I, I think, in general, uh, um, you know, those different cultures in Maine create different uh, cross currents in how we think as a state. And there is, I believe, still out there some nascent Yankee ingenuity. And in particularly in rural communities and fishing and uh, farming communities, there is a sense of self-reliance. Um, uh, but then there's this other um, strain that I think has to do with the fact that we used to be big manufacturing and manufacturing got to be big companies rather than people tinkering. Uh, and there's that waiting for the big employer or waiting for the government to come in and solve the problem. And it isn't going to happen. I mean, it just is, you know, Maine's problems, Maine has the capability and it is a requirement we fix them for ourselves because we're just not going to get the help from other people. And uh, the nice thing is if we fix them by them, if, uh, ourselves, if we build the sort of self-reliant economy, 
um, then it's a much more stable environment. You, you bring in a big employer, big employers come, but then big employers go. Uh, government programs come and government programs go. But if we can, if we can build in our own communities um, self-reliance, uh, a broad-based economy, I think one of the great things about the um, the economy that started that, that you see, you know, the the economic um, vitality in the state is to a large extent around the the arts and and uh, science and technology and those sorts of things. And if, if you've been watching Biddeford and you mentioned you had a, a background, it's just extraordinary the, the, the way that that has changed. And it, um, if you look at where the growth's coming from, it's much more broadly based. It's not a big mill that can shut down, uh, that can grow rapidly and employ thousands, but it, 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 it can also turn around and lay off thousands. It's, um, uh, and um, we have the ability to do that. And one of the things that makes me sad is that not, more people don't look at starting their own business and starting their own venture, that, that that's something that's actually decaying. And uh, it's unfortunate because um, one of the things that I've learned in the last few years is there's this incredibly strong support network for entrepreneurship in the greater Portland area, at least, which there, there, uh, there didn't used to be um, when I started GWI 23 years ago. Um, you know, all these mistakes I made, uh, and which were costly and unpleasant. Uh, and um, now I find um, that there people to turn to uh, who are willing to help on, on the board of uh, Main Center for Entrepreneurial Development, which is kind of the, uh, um, the oldest, most senior of the entrepreneurial type organizations. And, um, but that's not the only one. There are, there are you know, dozens now. Um, there's Venture Hall, uh, there's MTI, um, there, there, there are uh, University of Maine, all sorts of things going on, and there's a lot of support and uh, for people who are starting companies, and it is it is a it's a really good thing to do, uh, and I would say I'm not you know it's stressful and it's um, uh, it's a lot of work, but boy is it worth it, and if you get the help, um, I think your chances of being successful go way 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 up so um i i you know that's one of the things maine could do and if we started a lot of companies i think you'd find that we'd have a much better economy so you you brought it up so i'm gonna ask yeah. um you talked about mistakes that you made yeah. that were very costly tell me about some of those oh wow uh where to begin um uh i would say well one of the things that I did is I tended to be very isolated when I was starting out. I didn't, I'm not, uh, I'm not an outgoing person and left to my own devices. Uh, uh, I mean, I like to talk to people about the stuff that interests me, but left to my devices, I, you know, I'd rather be at home and, and splitting wood or reading a book. Um, so that was uh, not reaching out enough for help. Um, I also uh, 
self-financed. Um, and I think the biggest part of that is if you if you self-finance, that means you don't have other other people who are really interested in what you're doing because they put money in it and they're going to watch over your shoulder and give you advice. Um, so not, you know, if I had to do over again, I would have spent a lot more time going around, meeting people, introducing myself, telling them what I was trying to do, um, you know, kind of essentially asking for help. And uh, I really, really tried to do too much myself. So I really would have benefited from um, uh, engaging with other people early on. So that that's, I'd, I'd say, my biggest mistake, and lots and lots of middle, little mistakes um, uh, uh, fall out of that. And the other thing was not really, uh, and I and I think if you're, you know, if you're just one person, you just can't get that much done. I mean, there's a real limit um, if you're if you get together a group of interested people, uh, then it's much easier. How do you think that we can get? Um people past the point of fear and to the point of forming their own businesses because I, I do believe you are correct that there are there is this idea that we should wait for somebody who's going to employ us because mm-hmm. that is quote stability mm-hmm. and having worked in Maine myself mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. many years I have seen that this Things change, you know. The Navy pulled out of Brunswick, so even though I still have military patients, there's a lot fewer of them going up there. Yeah, and that was something that nobody foresaw. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Well, um, I think it's a really important question, and unfortunately, the natural response that comes to me is to is to start out telling people they should be more afraid. And the, the world is ch- changing. It's going to continue to change. If anything, the rate of change is going to increase. Because one of the reasons it's changing is technology. And the, the, the more and more technology we have, the, the more and more rat, uh, we can speed up the rate of change. The more that we can instantly share ideas, uh, the, the uh, the, the, the more rapid things change, the more that uh, companies can bring out, instantly bring out new products, um, the more uh, technology allows new mi- business models to come along and destroy old business models, um, creative destruction. Uh, so change is going to be constant. And I believe the, the way to deal with it and the happiness is to take charge of the change and not be... Um, uh, um, you know the the stick being swept down the stream, but really uh, um, figure out, start thinking about the future, um, start thinking about um, actively taking control. It's not the future is not going to be like today. What do you want to be? What wh- where do you want to be? Uh, and those sorts of things, and. Um, and then start taking charge of yourself. There's no way any of us can avoid, uh, I- unless we just end up in a very bad place, uh, continually educate ourselves. Because the jobs we have are gonna, are gonna change. And you don't wanna be, as someone who's eyeing 60 from a pretty close range and have friends that age, the last thing you wanna be 
is reaching a point where you're you're in your early 60s and the world has changed in such a way that your job isn't needed anymore and you're in your early 60s f- trying to find something new because I promise age discrimination is very real uh, and it's almost impossible. I, I don't know anybody who manages to avoid it. So you want to be in that situation and the, and um, uh, the way to do it is keep educating yourself. Push, you got to push yourself. It's it may not be what you want to do. Uh, I know that I have to push myself. Oh, I don't really feel like reading this. Uh, I better. Uh, I, that, that's a conversation in my ha- I have in my head every single day. Um, and um, uh, and so th- I think the first step is to do that and then treat yourself like you're a celebrity and work on your brand. And that is making sure that you're doing these things and you have a way of demonstrating to the world through credentials or whatever that you're doing these things. And if you're, if you're doing that and you're thinking about yourself that way, uh, you, and you should always be thinking of yourself as a solo practitioner um, because you, you probably are, uh, I think then it's a step from, from that to saying, um, okay, um, I'm thinking about the future, I'm seeing these opportunities, I'm getting myself ready for the opportunities. And um, maybe part of that is starting a business. And uh, then the other thing I'd say is don't make the mistake I did. Uh, Absolutely, positively reach out to other people. No person, um, the idea of the heroic founder that starts a company and is the person who does it, it's it's gotta be a team or a group of people. Um, because no person has all the, when you're small, you need to do all these different things. You could need to be your own HR, you need to be your own finance person, you need to be your own product person, uh, you need to be your own marketer and all those things. No one can do all those things and do a good job of it. So you've got to find other people uh, and working with them come up with a common vision or find someone who has the vision and you want to be on their team. And the most important part of it is whether you, you can trust them. And there, there's someone that trusts, some, find people that tr- can trust you and you can trust. Uh, and, and use the organizations, use the main center for entrepreneurial Top Gun program, um, or all the, a score, um, or all the, there are dozens of different uh, startup, startup and create week and, and um, uh, venture hall and all sorts of things. But there, if you want to start a business, you're going to get, a, if you reach out for it and look for it, you're going to get a lot of help, a lot of very valuable help that you would pay large amounts of money for. And by and large, you can either get it really cheap or free because starting businesses is so important to society. So um, I'd say pay attention to yourself and who you are. Uh, realize the world is changing and start to figure out how you think it's going to change. A lot of these things, you, you can predict the future um, and then start to look for like-minded people uh, and, and remember that, you know, as much as you may not like it, you're a brand and, and, and think about your brand. Well, it's interesting to hear you talk about some of these things that I, that I ponder a lot because, well, for example, in medicine, um, 
technology is enabling us to do really wonderful things. I mean, we really have done a lot with mm. um, what we have to offer our patients. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yet, and I'm probably going to get myself in trouble by saying this, but I've been in this field a long time, so I feel like I can say this. And yet there's enough people who are very well educated, who want to know what they know, are willing to learn a little bit more about medicine, but don't really want to do anything that's going to like move them out of their safe space. Yeah. And, and, it, and it's hard. I yeah. think it makes it yeah. really hard because there's so much more that could be accomplished right. if people were a little bit more open to thinking in a broader way. I, 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 I completely agree, if I understand what you're saying. <laughs> Uh, it's it's hard not to settle into a safe space. Uh, I think it's it's absolutely human nature, and I know that I do it. And I but I also know there there is no safe space. The world is just is changing enough so that you need to push yourself, and that's true on so many different levels. I, I mean, I think it's true mentally and professionally in 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 what you do with your job, but also as you age, uh, as my you know, my mother would say, um, is, you know, I think a lot of people say aging isn't, isn't for sissies and you, you have to become an athlete if you're going to, and the difference of quality of life you're going to have if you do that or if you don't is, is, is profound. So um, there is no safety in standing still. The, the safe place is, is an illusion to some extent. You, you need to keep moving. Um, so uh, I, I think that that that's that's certainly true. I'm not sure if if that's what you're saying. And um, if you're learning and you're educating yourself, there's no better way to learn and educate than uh, educate yourself about yourself. Um, how you, you know how how people think, how you think, um, uh, you know that the health aspects. Um, uh, I must admit, as a computer science, I find medical science very frustrating because it's so inexact and it seems to move and fits and starts and uh, a lot of false starts. But um, um, you know, keeping tra keeping up on those sorts of things, I think, is important. So, well, I agree with you, and I, I think it's interesting to me. Um, and I keep using the word interesting because I don't want to say challenging or frustrating, I guess. I want to keep this in a positive way. Um, that There's this weird thing that I, I think that many people go into life with, which is that I'm going to get a certain amount of experience, education, ed, I don't know, academic yeah. degrees, whatever yeah. it is, and then I'm good. Yeah. I'm good, and this yeah. is going to be all I need to be the rest I, of my life, uh, and they're just going to burrow that, down, that, that and, you, and, and that's, that's crazy. And that that might have been the world we grew up in, but it isn't the world in which we live, and it's every day it's getting more and more wrong. And I think you set yourself up for profound disappointment because the rules are changing, and if you play by the old set of rules, you're going to you're going to end up really disappointed and maybe bitter because you did the things that you thought you were supposed to do and found out they didn't result in the results. So, I mean, and a bunch of that is stuff that we can't change. I mean, we might through politics try to organize society in such a way uh, that you could hold but since it's being driven by technology, 
and we can stop using the technology, but even if we as an entire country stopped, slow down, try to deliberately slow down the pace of technology, if the rest of the world is doing it, it's going to overlap on onto us anyhow. So I, I, I don't see how you can, you can stop that. And if that's happening, um, it's worth paying attention to. And when I talk about thinking about how you think, one of the things is the way you think about the future. And I know this is hard because it's hard for me and it's something that I actually find exciting and interesting, but it's just so hard to visualize. Our, our minds think that tomorrow will be like today, but it's not gonna be that way. And we, how, do we, how can we pay attention to how it might be different? And I think more than people realize, you can predict what the changes are gonna be. Um, you know, this, I'm holding up an iPhone now, which is pretty amazing. When, when I grew up in, in the woods of Arundel, Maine, um, to have, to say I'd be carrying around something that holds the sum stores of human knowledge, just an extraordinary amount of information. It's not really in there, but it's available to me through the, the network connection. Um, you know, but it was ultimately predictable, particularly if you look back a, a few years. I mean, Self-driving cars, there's going to be a lot of pain and suffering between here and there, uh, a lot more than people realize, uh, I think. It's going to be a, a, a bumpy, bumpy uh, road, to use the wrong metaphor, but um, uh, it's going to happen, and how will that change things? Uh, you know, the, you can see... Um, you can see the way the nature of jobs through automation and and uh, uh, robots are are going to change, and you can see that there are certain things that probably won't and will become of greater value. Anything that's human, anything that's creative, um, uh, empathy, uh, the uh, people skills, and. Um, you know, certain medical, prof uh, if you look at medical professions, certain things probably, you know, radiology doesn't have a very good uh, um, shelf life um, because that's stuff that can be, that we think of as intense and needs a lot of intelligence, but actually could be done by a computer ultimately. Uh, whereas, um, uh, and some types of diagnosis, but other types of di diagnosis, no. And um, um, uh, human interactions and bedside manner are probably more and more important. And you know, the, probably the model for the next 100, 150 years is empowering people uh, through technology. So paying attention to that and, and figuring out, uh, not using technology um, for the use of technology, but using technology because you have something you want and you have something you want to do, and it's a way to get what you want, is, I, I think, is going to be really important. Well, this has been a fascinating conversation. Thank you. I appreciate your taking time yeah. out of your very busy yeah. schedule. I've been speaking with Fletcher Kittrich, who is the founder and CEO of Maine-based internet service provider at GWI. In the last 20 years, GWI has grown to 55 employees and $16 million in annual revenue. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Love, Maine Radio is brought to you by Maine Magazine, Aristel, Portland Art Gallery, and Art Collector Maine. Audio production and original music are by Spencer Albee. Our editorial producers are Paul Koenig and Brittany Cost. 
Our assistant producer is Shelby Wasik. Our community development manager is Casey Lovejoy. And our executive producers are Kevin Thomas, Rebecca Falzano, and Dr. Lisa Belisle. For more information on our production team, Maine Magazine, or any of the guests featured here today, please visit us at lovemainradio.com.